We're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 38 to 48. That's the end of chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. The text is printed there in the bulletin. There are some Bibles available on the table in the back if you need one of those. I'm pretty excited about our passage this morning uh, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Uh, That's something that's really hard to do, and I'm pretty terrible at it. Uh, But it's an amazing thing that Jesus is talking about here. God loves his enemies. That's uh, one of the most profound things that you can say about him, about his love. It's uh, something about him that we should all remember and consider often, the fact that God loves his enemies. And God's love for his enemies frees us actually to love our enemies, which is probably just about uh, the most astonishing thing that could happen in this world when sinners like us begin to love their enemies. So uh, let's talk about what that means. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, sometimes it's hard for us to accept what you have to say to us, so we pray that you would open up our ears to hear, all of our ears, open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word and remake us in the image of your Son, who speaks the words of life to us. We pray in his name. Amen. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Well, uh, you've probably noticed, um, if you've been here for any length of time, especially if you have children, that uh, most weeks in our printed liturgy, uh, there's a coloring picture for the kids on the page. It's just after the sermon text. Uh, This week, I did a Google image search for a Love Your Enemies coloring page. Love Your Enemies coloring page, Google image search. So one of the pictures that came up was from a, a Jewish kids ministry website, uh, jewishkids.org. Um, it was from a series, a series of pictures that was aimed at uh, teaching kids a bit of Jewish national history from the Maccabean Revolt, which took place about 150 years before the events that are described here in the Gospels. Uh, it's when the Jews overthrew their occupiers, the Greeks, the Seleucids. Uh, the caption on this particular picture that came up when I did a Google image search for Love Your Enemies coloring page. Caption on this picture read, The enemies, that's the Seleucids, uh, decided to fight against the Jews with an army of 60,000 soldiers, arms, and war elephants. But the Maccabees, with the help of God, after a few battles, finally won. And the picture shows 
all these murderously angry cartoon people, uh, and the Jews clashing with their enemies, uh, swinging swords and, and firing arrows at each other. Right? Really exciting children's coloring page. Not sure why, why it came up in a search for Love Your Enemies. Um, so I just had Evangeline draw the picture that's uh, in the bulletins this week. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> Jesus teaching love your enemies is a hard one for people to embrace. God's own people, God's own people, the Jews, they didn't get it. And apart from Christ, they still don't get it. Right? Uh, the Jewish religious experts of Jesus' day thought that uh, revenge, uh, you know, desire for revenge and hatred of your enemy uh, was just fine, right? And they weren't alone, really. Uh, pretty much everybody has always felt this way. If someone hurts us, it's normal to want to hurt them back. That's just the knee-jerk reaction. It's a natural response for sinners. Because sinners, you know, we look out for number one. Number one being myself for me and number one being yourself for you, right? So since your self-interest has a different object from my self-interest, our interests will, will collide at some point. There will be conflict between us. The more time you spend together, the more you realize those self-interests collide and we have conflict. If you hurt me because of your self-interest then my self-interest instinctively reacts with this desire to hurt you back. That's how sinners work. The desire for revenge is a very strong, even compulsive desire. It's not good. It's not a good, healthy desire. It's wrong. We'll sometimes try to say it's a desire for justice. That's what we really want, a desire for justice. But the personal desire to return hurt for hurt, personal desire to return evil for evil, that is not a desire for justice. That's a desire that is contrary to God's will. He has explicitly stated his will in the matter. He says, do not return evil for evil. He says, leave vengeance to him. It's not for you to pursue vengeance. He says, love your enemies explicitly. He says that. Yes, in his law, he makes provision for criminal justice for Israel as a nation. But the penalties there, are they're never a matter of personal vengeance meted out by the victims. They're to be imposed by judges, they're to be imposed by the civil authorities, and the punishments are meant to fit the crimes. So Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 19. He says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, which is known as the, the law of retaliation. So retaliation is being regulated by God's law. It's all too natural for sinners to seek disproportionate vengeance. If someone uh, puts out my eye, I'm going to kill that guy. It's not going to be an eye for an eye. I'm going to want that guy dead. Right? Uh, Joe Pope would be disappointed if I didn't mention something like the Liam Neeson Taken movies or the uh, uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, John Wick movies, which are all about, you know, it's just one man's unstoppable quest in his overblown desire for personal revenge. The bad guys kill John Wick's dog. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, kids. You're not going to watch those movies. Uh, they kill his dog, and he's definitely not guided by the principle of dog for a dog. <laughs> he goes on a citywide murder spree, killing every single bad guy that he can get his hands on. Right? And movies like this make hundreds of millions of dollars because the idea of unleashing such insatiable revenge on our enemies is so satisfying. Never mind that every, you know, every, every time in the movies, the wise good guy says, uh, you know, revenge isn't going to satisfy you. 
It's not going to fix things. It's not going to be really satisfying. Never mind that. When the hero disarms the bad guy and goes to spare him and then he turns his back to him and starts to walk away, we're all thinking, oh man, you can't let that guy live. And then the bad guy uh, reaches for his hidden weapon and the hero spins around and dispatches him and we feel satisfied. We feel satisfied. Yes, that guy finally got what he deserved because he killed that dog. Right? That's not a celebration of justice. That's the feeling of our hatred being satisfied. So the law of God regulates justice, which is frustrating to sinners who like revenge. Revenge is so natural to us that the uh, Jewish religious experts uh, had to excuse it. I mean, they, they taught, they actually taught that it was okay to hate your enemies. That's their, it's sort of a misquotation when they say, you know, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The, the scripture doesn't say hate your enemy. It says love your neighbor, but it doesn't say hate your enemy. They're, they're interpreting it that way, right? <clears throat> so he points out that they'd misinterpreted Deuteronomy 19 and passages like, uh, like Leviticus, which we read from our Old Testament, you know, as allowing for, yes, you love, love your neighbor, love your brother, etc., but you can hate your enemy, right? That's obvious, right? Uh, the scriptures don't allow for personal revenge. They don't promote it. So these people, the, the religious experts that Jesus is in conflict with here, he said, they would have said, love your neighbor. Yes, God's law clearly requires that. But it has to be fine to hate your enemies. What else are we going to do? Enemies are people we hate. That's the definition. Right? The, the alternative to hating your enemies is unimaginable. We literally cannot imagine a healthy person loving their enemies. Apart from Jesus. Therapists will say it's got to be some kind of psychological disorder. You're going to love your enemies. Love the people who hurt you or abused you. That's a, that's a psychological disorder. That's some kind of codependency. Something's wrong with you. You can't be a healthy person and love your enemies. You can't just roll over and let your enemies trample on you or take advantage of you. That would be, that would be deplorable weakness. You can't just give your enemies that kind of power over you and, and remain kind and gracious and forgiving and loving when they hurt you. Listen to Jesus, what he's saying. It's crazy talk. Do not resist the one who is evil. What does that mean? Don't even resist an evil person who seeks your harm. How can that be good? How can it be good? How can that be healthy for us? But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. <clears throat> the idea here is of uh, humiliation, to give a backhanded slap. So for a, normally you have a right-handed person giving a backhanded slap, it's going to land on the right cheek of the person. Yes, yeah, so it's anyone slaps you on the right cheek that way, turn to him the other also. So it's, a, it's meant to offer insult. It's a humiliating thing. Right? And Jesus doesn't just say, hey, don't retaliate, don't fight back. Pacifism, you know. He says, be open to receiving more insults, more humiliation, more damage to your reputation, more personal offense. Don't stand up for yourself. Don't fight to protect your dignity and your honor. Be ready to take whatever painful humiliation your enemy has for you. Where's the healthy self-esteem in that? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Have you ever been taken to court? It's frightening to discover how your enemies can gain power over you in court. How someone can just drag you into a lawsuit and you find yourself in a situation that is beyond your ability to control. Can you imagine offering a settlement that's greater than the damages you're being sued for? That's insane. Who's going to do that? And, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
So for Jesus' original audience, um, this is a familiar facet of Roman oppression. These are the real enemies that everybody's thinking about is Rome, right? Um, the oppressors. And the Roman soldiers, they might press you into service if they needed you. To say, hey, we need these supplies carried a couple miles down the road. Uh, we, can, we can ask you, you peasant, drop your stuff, drop what you're doing, and help us for a mile. Right. Carry this. I mean, it's much more than just being disruptive to your schedule. It's like on-demand slavery that you're just subject to. And Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and serve double. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus isn't just talking about enemies the way we would think, you know, just active enemies who are attacking you or humiliating you, right? He's talking about whenever self-interests collide. The beggar uh, might not be a hostile enemy, right? But his self-interest demands something from you that is in conflict with your self-interest. And Jesus says, all they have to do is ask and you give. Whether they deserve it or not, whether you can trust them to make good decisions or not. Love your enemies, he says. And pray for those who persecute you. So he, he's taking the vision of this kind of love to the extreme. To the extreme. For whatever reason, uh, your enemies in their self-interest are pursuing things that lead to your harm in some way. And you're not to return self-interest for self-interest. You're not to return evil for evil. You're to want their good. To pray for it to seek it, to work for it. Now, that's a special kind of crazy, Jesus. That's certainly a unique way of thinking, and he knows it's unique. He knows it. He knows that the way everybody in the world operates is that you love the people who love you back. You have this nice transactional thing with love. Right? And you hate the people who have made themselves your enemies, who won't love you. There's nothing special about love when it operates that way. Jesus says, you don't need God to have a love like that. That's a normal kind of sinners do it every day kind of love. Even the Gentiles have love like that. But divine love, he says, perfect love. Love that's been brought to perfection, to its ultimate telos, to its end, to its goal. Love in perfection. Love like God has. That means loving not just the lovable people, but the unlovely. Loving the unloving. Loving the self-interested enemies. He, the Father, he says in verse 45, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the love of God for his enemies can be seen by everybody in the world. It's in general revelation, right? In nature, in the creation that God has made, in, in the obvious good that he bestows on all people, whether we deserve it or not good or evil. But even more clearly, the love of God for his enemies is seen in the special revelation of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were enemies. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Our sin, our rebellion against God and his ways makes us his enemies. Our self-interest makes us his enemies. We've done 
what is evil. And when God came into the world, we sought his his harm like enemies do. We sought his harm. When his enemies sent to arrest him on false charges, he did not resist the evil person. When they made him stand trial in a mockery of justice, arranging uh, for people to bear false witness against him in order to condemn him, they spit in his face, they struck him, and they slapped him in humiliating ways, and he left himself open to further abuse. His enemies stripped him, beat him, and forced him to go with them, carrying the burden that they wanted him to carry. It was his own cross, the instrument of his own humiliation, the instrument of his own torture and execution. And he embraced it and he carried it with all the strength that he had. His enemies persecuted him to the point of death and he prayed for them. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed for us. On the cross, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, showed the perfection of divine love He showed the absolute freedom of love. And by freedom, I mean that Jesus is not constrained in his love. He can love whoever he wants to. His love is unconditional. It's free from conditions. You do not have to meet conditions for him to love you. It does not depend on the other to meet some requirements. It does not depend on the other to reciprocate and to return that love. He can love an enemy. Jesus was free from hatred and from the desire for revenge. The hatred that his enemies had for him and the terrible ways they mistreated him didn't provoke bitterness or retaliation or vengeful spirit in Jesus. He was not bound to respond to their evil with evil. He was not bound to respond to their self-interest with his own self-interest. He was free from their evil. To respond to their evil with good, with love, with other interested love with self-giving love. He gave his very life for his enemies to reconcile us to God and to share the freedom of his love with us. To make us free, actually to love our enemies just as he's loved us. So the father loved us and gave his son Jesus for us so that we could become sons of the father, just as Jesus is the son, the unique son of the father, so that we could bear the image of that divine family. So that we could be free to love as God loves. The thing that defines who God is, that kind of love, that perfect love, can define who we are because of Jesus. That's life in the kingdom of heaven, which is the subject of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here. The law of God calls us to a love which is impossible for sinners to fulfill. The Son of God became a man in order to fulfill this law on our behalf. To love perfectly, even as God loves perfectly. And now his life is alive in us through his spirit so that we can begin to do the impossible through faith in him. And it really is the impossible apart from Christ. It really is the impossible. Apart from Christ, we draw the cartoons about enemies killing each other. Apart from Christ, we pay the millions to see the hero get his overblown revenge. For sinners even to want to love their enemies like Jesus does is a Holy Spirit miracle of the highest order. It is... The most astonishing thing, when self-interested people stop being ultimately self-interested, begin to love their enemies with other-interested love, with self-giving love. And that is the life that is open to you through union with Christ, through his spirit. So now, when others might show you hostility in Christ, you're free to let them do that and show them favor. 
when, when others sabotage you because of Christ, in Christ, you're free to help them. When others reject you, in Christ, you're free to keep welcoming them. When others ridicule, ridicule you, in Christ, you're f- free to build them up. <clears throat> when others take what belongs to you, in Christ, you're free to give them even more. You don't have to hate them. You don't have to seek retaliation or retribution or revenge. Just because they've not loved you well doesn't mean you're bound to respond to them in like manner. Jesus shows us we can love other people who hurt us. We can love other people who hurt us. You are not bound to respond to evil with evil. You are free to respond to evil with love, as costly as that may be. You can love someone uh, even if they didn't apologize well enough for the pain they've caused you. You can love someone even if they never fulfill your deep needs for reciprocal love. Because you know Jesus' love for you. That's something we always need to remember. When we didn't apologize well enough, when we didn't reciprocate his love in any way, God loved us while we were still his enemies. Christ died for us. In Christ, God has loved his enemies, and that meant me. And that's not meant to shame you, like saying, well, if God loved a jerk like you, then you better love jerks like other people, right? It's meant to capture you and melt you. God's love for his enemies, including you, is so good, and he has made it possible for you to love like he does by his own spirit. This, this kind of perfect love, love of enemies, uh, means we do not have to demand that other people change before we love them. We can pray for them. So by prayer, um, Jesus, I don't think he means this, and uh, you know, we're not talking about hoping that God will give them everything they want. You know, finding out what your enemy's prayer request is and just saying, yeah, yeah, right? Um, I don't even mean hoping that God will give them what they deserve, which is a pretty natural prayer request for people. Um, give my enemy what he deserves. Prayer for our enemies might involve some imprecatory psalms. Uh, that's, sure. But prayer for our enemies can also involve prayers for their forgiveness, prayers that their own hearts would be melted by God's love of enemies, prayers that come from a goodwill and desire for reconciliation, like from Jesus' own heart. These are the impossible prayers that are made possible in our relationship with Jesus. Prayer for our enemies means uh, that we relate to them not just immediately. We relate to them through God, through our relationship with God. We relate to them in the name of Jesus, through our relationship with Jesus. So if you turn your hearts and your minds to Christ in prayer, when your enemies hurt you, then one of the first things you need to remember is that when you were God's enemy, he loved you and he forgave you at great cost to himself. And you can thank God that he didn't treat you like sinners treat their enemies. You can thank God that the grace of the Lord Jesus came to you, even though you deserved otherwise. And you can ask that your enemies would be captured by that same gracious love. As hard as it is to ask for that, you can ask for that. Even though they deserve otherwise, you can ask for that. And you could begin to extend that gracious love to them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the, the love for our enemies takes us along the way of the cross and into fellowship with the crucified. That's where Jesus is. He's on the way of the cross. So love for enemies is hard. That perfect divine love that uh, led Jesus to go to the cross, that's as hard as it gets. And as we love our enemies in his name, it means 
all the same kinds of difficulties for us, facing uh, unreasonable anger from other people, facing provocation, enduring pain at the hands of other people, carrying our own cross, embracing the means of our own humiliation. But that just means that we get Jesus. That we get fellowship with the crucified Lord. We're granted a real participation in his glorious life and love. We get the privilege of being sons of his heavenly father. That sounds good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving your enemies. In our sinful self-interest, we made ourselves your enemies. But you're free to love us anyway. You always have been, you always will be. And you gave your son for us, for your enemies. You didn't just give his life for us in death on the cross. You gave his life's power to us through your Holy Spirit. So that we could live in the same love that animated his life. That the same love, the same perfect love with which you loved your enemies. When uh, people make themselves our enemies... Uh, when their self-interest makes demands on us or hurts us, we pray that you would please help us to relate to them through our relationship with you in Christ. Your love for your enemies is perfect. Help us to have this supernatural, spiritual, perfect love in us. We pray for those who persecute your people, who seek to harm us. You've said that you will repay those who do evil, so we leave them to you. We trust you to know what is best and to do what is best for us and for them. So we pray that you would bless our enemies so that Jesus would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.